John chapter 12. Now, I don't know why this scripture stood out to me yesterday as I was reading um, because I've memorized the book of John. Uh, through Bible quizzing years ago, I, I memorized most of the New Testament at one time or another. And so I've, I, it's been buried in my memory somewhere. I've memorized it at one point or another. But these three verses never stuck, stuck out to me until yesterday. And uh, maybe it was just because it was time for me to preach on this passage. John chapter 12, I want to just read from verse number 9. I'm reading from the New Living Translation today. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus. Now, let me just stop just for a second there before I go on. The King James Version, the ESV, the NIV, the, uh, all the Revised Standard um, Bibles add something to it that the NLT doesn't. Uh, it gives it a different flavor, a different tense, or a different feeling. And really what it simply is, like the King James Version, I believe, says, they didn't come to see Jesus only, but more importantly, they came to see Lazarus. <laughs> okay? So this one, New Living, just says they flocked to see Jesus and to see Lazarus. But it was in other versions, it makes it sound like they came to see Lazarus more than they came to see Jesus. Does that make sense? And so, continuing to read, the man that Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too. King James Version uses the word the pot to kill. Lazarus too. For it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. And I want to preach with the help of the Lord um, this simple subject when your testimony becomes a target. When your testimony becomes a target. Would you just pray with me now? Jesus, I'm asking you, Lord, to fill me up and pour me out upon your people today. Lord, let my words be your words. Let them be carefully uttered, Lord God. Let them step from the throne room of grace and into the hearts of your people. I'm asking you, Lord Jesus, to give us ears to hear and hearts to receive what you're trying to say to us today and allow us, Lord, to have the spirit of revelation come upon us so that we can see you in a new light, in a new way. I trust in you, Lord. I'm thankful, God, for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. I believe that sometimes we fail to understand what actually happens when Jesus touches our life. Sometimes we think that miracles are magnificent. And I tend to agree. How many like to see miracles? Yeah, we all like to see miracles. Miracles are kind of cool. And uh, I've seen all kinds of them. I've seen people get up out of wheelchairs. I've seen people throw leg braces on the, uh, on the platform and walk out. Crutches get thrown. I've seen, uh, I've seen uh, ears opened up. I remember uh, Sister Trout one time, she just put her hands over the guy's ears, and, and, and boom, he began to hear after she prayed over him, and God touched his body. I, I've seen a lot of different miracles. I've seen financial miracles. I've seen uh, uh, um, just marital miracles and kids' miracles, and, and we had the miracle of two things. Our marriage was a miracle, and our boys are miracles. So we're, we're all around the miraculous. 
I'm thankful that there is a thing called the miraculous of Jesus. I'm thankful that the Bible says wherever he went, he had the opportunity to touch and to heal and to minister to. I, I believe in that. But here's what sometimes we don't understand is the other side of our miracle makes us a target. We get excited about the miracle, but we don't necessarily recognize the fact that when we get to the other side of the miracle, we are stepping into the target zone. Lazarus was targeted by these Jewish leaders plotting to kill him. Now, I have to just say this, and I'm getting used to having to look over here. I, I, I have to say this. These people, forgive the way I say it, but they're stupid. Why are you going to plot to kill the man that was just raised from the dead? I don't know, that's just me reading into the story. I'm thinking, okay, let's think of something else besides killing him. That didn't work already. See, I'm knock this one over. Don't do that with the other one. John 11 is an interesting passage. And it's the story of Lazarus. And I want to bring out just a couple of points of this miracle. First of all, uh, we've said it before, and we'll say it, I'm sure, a million times more. In Bible days, names meant something. When a mother named a child, it was to name them, and it meant whatever they were going through and whatever was happening. It's the reason why some names uh, I, I, I wouldn't have wanted because, you know, mom wasn't happy, so she named me this. <laughs> mom didn't like dad that day, so I was named this. And now I remember it the rest of my life because that's my name. It's the reason why God changed some names. It's the reason why Jacob went from Jacob to Israel. Because God couldn't have his people identified with the deceiver. He needed to be identified with the prince of God. We, we, wouldn't, have, we wouldn't have accepted the books of the New Testament, the letters written by Saul, the murderer and persecutor, so God changed him to Paul. You, you see, there's a, there's a name change. But in this case, Lazarus simply means this. God has helped me. God has helped me. Or God is my helper. And, and so a man named God is my helper was sick. Think of that. The one that God wants to help faces sickness. I wish I could tell somebody today that you're never going to have another problem. That when you come to Jesus, on the other side of coming to Jesus, that everything is smooth as crystal. But those of you that have lived it know it ain't true. The one that God helps is sick. He lived in Bethany. Now listen, Bethany means house of affliction. That's where I want to live. The one that the Lord helps was living in the house of affliction. I'm trying to set up the miracle here. You understand that Lazarus, by his very nature, was named because God was his helper. But he was living in a city 
that was called the house of affliction or suffering or pain, if you will. And I know that that may just seem, well, it's just because that's where he lived. But I don't think God does things accidentally. I think his word is an errand. I believe that God is trying to send a message to somebody, and he didn't just live there by himself. He lived with his sisters. Tell me. Tell me, tell me, tell me. This is Mary, who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet, wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick, so the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. Notice when Jesus hears about it. Jesus, well, how to win friends and influence people, Jesus was not. Lazarus' sickness, he's not going to die. No, it, but it's happening. He's getting sick before the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. I want you to, I had somebody say, well, see, God was lying. Jesus was lying because he did die. I said, no, 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 read it again. This sickness isn't unto death. It wasn't the final answer. <laughs> it wasn't his finality. Death was not going to be what took him in the end. Something else was going to take him because Jesus was getting ready to do something. So although Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, they, he stayed where he was for the next two days. I need to tell somebody today, don't panic when God doesn't show up on the day you expect him to show up. Don't get troubled when you've prayed for something and it hasn't happened. Jesus has another plan. He knows all about your need. He knows all about your situation. He knows that Lazarus was sick. He knew his, his, uh, Lazarus' sisters were panicking, that they were troubled. And he said, ah, let's just stay here a couple days. Let's just camp out here. You see, we like to think that Jesus is that, that person that we even, we even quote it. He's as close as the mention of his name. And he is. But sometimes he doesn't listen. I shouldn't say it. He listens. He doesn't respond. He heard the message, Lazarus is sick. But he said, ah, it's not unto death. We'll take care of it in a few days. You, you see what I'm saying? So we, some of us would panic. We'd say, well, God doesn't love me. Everybody hates me. God doesn't want, to, doesn't want to deliver me. He doesn't want to heal me. He doesn't want to protect me. He doesn't want to keep me. No, he's already heard it. He's got something better in store for you if you'll just hold on to him because he is busy doing something else and he's setting you up for a greater miracle. Sometimes we settle for the lesser instead of being patient for the more. So finally, after two days, I like how they translate it, finally. I can almost see John, because the disciples loved the Mary and Martha and Lazarus too. I can almost see John, the disciples, two days of panic, knowing that their friend was sick, just like Jesus' friend was sick. Finally, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go back to Judea. But then notice what the disciples say. But Rabbi... Only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are you going to go there again? In other words, finally he acknowledges that we need to do something for Lazarus, 
But at the same time, why would he go back to where they have threatened to kill him? He will reach wherever he needs to reach at the time he's ready to reach wherever you're at. He'll reach you in the middle of your heartache. He'll meet you in the middle of your grief. He'll go to the lion's den for you. He'll go where there's uh, people are trying to kill him and stone him and keep him from operating. He'll step into your life whenever it's the right time, if you'll allow him. Jesus said there's 12 hours of light every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can uh, see because they have the light of this world, but at night, there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him. Now, these disciples, they give me hope. They give me hope. I'm not as bad as I think I am. These dudes are so wishy-washy. They're so up and down in the moment. They're so... Finally, he said, Jesus recognizes that they have to see Lazarus. The next verse, they're saying, but why would you go someplace where they're going to kill you? Then the next thing they said, well, you just said he was asleep. That's good, isn't it? So maybe we don't have to go. And Jesus is, I, I just have to have a feeling that Jesus is chuckling under his breath. But now I'll go and wake him up. The disciples, think of this. Lord, if he's sleeping, he will soon get better. They thought that the Lord meant Lazarus was simply sleeping and he didn't have an alarm clock. And so Jesus had to travel two days to wake him up because the alarm clock wasn't listened to. My son's got the most obnoxious alarm. It's a foghorn that echoes in our house. It still doesn't wake him up. It wakes us up. We think the train's coming. Slip the tracks. I'm just teasing. He doesn't always get up, though. I think he likes the snooze button, too. That's, that's, they're expecting Jesus to be an alarm clock. If he's sleeping, he's going to get better. He's going to get up. No, I've got to go wake him up. So he said to play, Lazarus is dead. Oh, Jesus, he's so direct. He didn't bargain with them. He didn't negotiate with them. He didn't try to make it easy. He said, you guys are ignorant. You're not reading between the lines. You're not listening to what I'm saying. I said that he was asleep that it, because the glory of God, it wasn't unto death. He's just sleeping right now. And then I say that I've got to go and wake him up, and you think that just because he's been sleeping for two days now, and by the time we get there it will be at least four days, that he's just having one real good long nap and the alarm clock doesn't work. And so now I'm trying to tell you, so Lazarus is dead. You got it? And so these disciples register finally. Lazarus is dead. He's too late. But then notice what Jesus says. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. Why? Because now you're going to really believe. 
let's go see him. Sometimes God lets one miracle pass away so that the greater miracle can be arisen. Listen, my friend, don't worry about the miracle that has passed away in your life. Just hold on tight. The voice of the Lord is on its way, and it will speak resurrection to you. It will be a greater miracle after the first miracle has passed. And so, good old Thomas still doesn't really get it, but I give him credit. At least he was willing to die at that moment. Well, let's go with him and die. They weren't even recognizing the Lazarus situation at this time. They had now bounced back to the thing about them getting killed. Like I said, they give me hope. How many times have I gotten confused by what God is doing, thinking that this should happen instead of this? And this should happen instead of this. And God is five or six steps down the road. And he says, if you would just trust me, I'll get you to where you need to be. But I've got a securitous route for you. I'm going to take you around the block. I'm going to take you. Oh, that's why I know he's a man. He's going to take us on a scenic route. Jesus doesn't like shortcuts. Why? Because when you take a shortcut, you miss his creation. Hey, listen, Jesus is going to take you through some things. He's going to allow some things so that you can see his greater glory. It's not to cause doubt. It's not to cause fear because he's not given us the spirit of fear, but of love and, and a sound mind and of power. He's want, trying to show you a little better glimpse of who he is. So he gets there, and if you, you, most of you know the story. He reads the story. And finally, the Bible says, and I shared this with the church a couple years ago, and, uh, and, but a lot of you are new, and the second shortest verse in the Bible is Jesus wept. The shortest is rejoice evermore in 1 Thessalonians uh, in the Greek. English, this one is the shortest. But it just says Jesus wept. And nobody's ever really been able to classify why he wept. But, but I, I, the Lord kind of spoke to me a few years ago, and he says, I wept because I was calling Lazarus back from paradise. You think Lazarus wanted to come back? He was in a place of eternal comfort. And Jesus is getting ready to call him back. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gotten a big cookie and you're going to share it with your kids or your spouse and so you break off this big of a piece and you say, enjoy? I'm going to eat this part. That's what Lazarus probably felt. Jesus, you're giving me this little bit of paradise. I got four days in, and you're getting ready to call me back. I have a feeling that Jesus wept because he knew he was getting ready to rescind what Lazarus had already gained. 
And so the Bible says he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus steps out of the tomb. I've heard it said, and I kind of agree, you know the voice of your shepherd. How many other Lazaruses were there that didn't hear Jesus' voice that day? But the one that knew him, knew he was calling him, Lazarus, come, Lazarus comes out. He's a mummy, wrapped in grave clothes. And we get excited about the raising of the dead, but I want you to notice something here. He doesn't unwrap the miracle. He just resurrects the miracle. He tells the people, unwrap him now and let him go. Here's what I want somebody to understand. Your miracle has been resurrected. God's just waiting for you to unwrap it. It's been muzzled. God has spoken some things into your life, but it's unintelligible because the grave clothes is wrapped around the face and all you're hearing is the mumbling, and you don't know what he's trying to say. God is trying to tell somebody, begin to unwrap it by worship and praise. Begin to unwrap it by reading the word. Begin to unwrap it by taking a chance and stepping out and doing something for God, even though it doesn't make sense. Listen, it didn't make sense to unwrap the mummy. He had already started to stink. But they unwrapped him. And they went out. And then notice, Jesus says just before he calls them out, he goes, didn't I tell you that you're going to see God's glory if you believe? Disciples, get this straight. From now until the end, I know what I'm doing. No, that sounds simple. But there's sometimes where I need to step in front of a mirror and remind me, God knows what he's doing. Is my hand in his hand? Is my heart searching him? Am I chasing after him? Then everything I've got to deal with, he knows what he is doing. He knows your circumstance. He knows your situation. He knows when you've been rejected. He knows when you've been abandoned. He knows when you've been troubled. He knows what he is doing. Just hold on to Jesus. And his glory you will behold. So that's exciting. But then we get over to chapter 12. Here, here's... Here's what I find interesting. And I was actually looking for this passage of Scripture to begin with, the first part of 12, where Jesus is anointed. And, and because that's kind of what I felt like we were supposed to do today. But, uh, and, and maybe that's next week. I don't know. But notice the, the, the second verse of chapter 12. Six days before Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived again in Bethany to the home of Lazarus 
the man that he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Sounds exciting, right? Again, the New Living changes the words a little bit. King James says, he was in his recliner. He was in his lazy boy. Bible says he was reclined. Not a care in the world. I, I'll bet he didn't have a care. He already knew what the other side was like. He already knew, though I may live a little bit longer on this side, I already know a little bit what's on the other. I don't have any worries. Let me kick back. Let me just relax and recline with Jesus. Mary will sit at his feet. Martha's going to serve him. I'm just going to rest with him. Some of us get so worked up and so amped up about what Jesus is doing or what Jesus has done or what Jesus will do that we fail to recognize a resting pose in the presence of the Master. My friend, your miracle was not designed so that you would walk from the miracle and overwhelm yourself with other things that may even seem spiritual from time to time. Your miracle was designed to get you to rest in the arms of Jesus because when you're in the arms of Jesus, all of the other stuff will take care of itself. But we get so tied up because we are a works mentality humanity. We're trained from the very youth to do something, to get something, to do something, to get something. And Jesus has said, I want to do something so I can give you something. Backwards from what we do. So what he's going to call you to, he's going to equip you for. You don't have to worry about it. Well, pastor, I can't do this. Well, if God's asking you to do it, you can. Because if God's asking you to do it, he's going to give you the t ability to do it. Don't get yourself tied up. Don't let your miracle. See, I know that all of you that are sitting here myself included, recognize that we are all miracles. There's about 90 miracles in the house today. Well, God doesn't perform miracles anymore. Oh, I'm looking at some. I'm seeing some. And I'm, not ta I'm talking about total, complete transformation. I'll be honest with you, and I don't say this with any anger or hatred, but I wouldn't have wanted to know some of you before. You scare me. Dennis knows. He shared it with me. He said you wouldn't have wanted to know me back then. I said, maybe not, but I'm glad I know you now. Miracle after miracle. But here's what God sent me to tell somebody. Your miracle is always going to become a target. Your testimony is always going to become a target. And I need somebody to catch this today because I'm going to say something without wanting to blow any theological bubble or change any mentality of thinking. But there's something that is rising up in the church today that's going to release the glory of Jesus like never before, and I want to be a part of it. We have, I have, 
We have, all of us in ministry here, probably have quoted this scripture over and over and over again. And the principle of it I agree with. The Bible says that they shall overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. But can I tell you something? That primary definition, that primary context of that statement has nothing to do with you or with myself. It has to do with tribulation saints that are going to have to one day stand up for the Lord and if they're going to be saved in the tribulation, their testimony about who he is is going to be the thing that saves them. Not saves their life, but saves their soul because their life will probably be taken when they open up their word of their testimony. Here's what I do believe, however, that with the mouth, confession is made. And when you open your mouth, you are establishing God in your life. Listen, here's how you overcome by Calvary, by Jesus. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's the one in charge. Does that mean we're supposed to zip our lip and not talk? No, 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 no. Don't misunderstand the preacher today. I'm not saying that your word is not powerful. What I'm trying to say is that when you open your mouth to give a testimony, you are actually setting yourself up to become a target. And it's a good thing. This is not a negative message. This is an exciting message. Let me put it to you in terms that I've preached before. If you're fighting against something, it means you're doing something right. Uh, Somebody grab a hold of this because you think you're failing because you're fighting. You're not failing because you're fighting. Your testimony has been shared, and the enemy doesn't want that testimony to reach somebody else. Can I tell you something? You do not overcome by the word of your testimony, but the person that hears your testimony can overcome their situation. No, no, no. Some of you kind of, yeah, I get that. Look what the word says. We read it. Because of Lazarus, not because of Jesus, because of Lazarus, many of the people had deserted them. What's the them? If you read closer in context, it's the traditions of the Jewish religion and was going into a New Testament philosophy. Because of Lazarus, Because of Lazarus, because of Lazarus, the people deserted their old life to follow Jesus. Let me tell you something. If your testimony has a target, people recognize it. Uh, If your testimony has been targeted, it means that it's getting ready to reach your neighbor. It's getting ready to reach your young person. It's getting ready to reach your brother. It's getting ready to reach your sister. Something's getting ready to happen when you're targeted because there's nothing that you can do about your testimony. Jesus is the only one that gets the glory. Jesus is the only one that gets the credit. But it's the Lazarus that changes people's perspective. Oh, keep talking it. Keep talking it. Keep talking it. Keep talking. Just because you share your testimony is not going to get you to heaven. Jesus is going to do that. 
But as you get to talk in your testimony, somebody's going to hear. I know a gentleman. I, I won't mention his name, but he was a preacher. Dynamic preacher. And he went out into the wild, if you will, of India. And he didn't preach from the Bible. He says, I'm not preaching to a Christian nation. I'm preaching to a Muslim nation. So he, he, he preached out of the Quran. And as he's preaching, he's preaching that the Allah of the Quran is the Jesus. Jesus is God manifest in the flesh. That Allah that you're worshiping, that's Jesus. And he's preaching from that. And he's sitting there preaching, and all of a sudden, there is a commotion in the back. And the, the, whatever building or tent or whatever they were at, all of a sudden there's a rustling, and some uh, um, Taliban members come walking in. They've got the guns on. They've got all the equipment on. And, and the preacher tells the story. He says, I thought I was done. I thought it was my last message. I thought they had come to kill me. But when they walked in to the sanctuary, because of the testimony of the preacher, these Taliban soldiers started walking down the aisle with tears running down their cheeks. I see it now. I see it now. I see it now. Listen, that preacher was good to go whether he died that day or not. His testimony, though, saved a whole bunch of Taliban members. Listen, I'm thankful for America. I'm thankful for the freedom that we have. I'm thankful that I can talk to people without worry of being jailed, without worry of being killed, without worry of all those kinds of things. So what is keeping me from opening my mouth? Because my miracle needs to be shared with others. Well, pastor, you just don't understand. No, no, no. I understand. You and I are like the disciples. I get it. You and I have such thick skulls. We are hard-headed. You said it, not me. They just called us all stiff-necked. But it's the truth. We get so set in our ways. God, I don't want to go through that. No. No. That's going to be hard. Yeah. But it's going to be worth it. You're going to be better because of your bitterness. You're going to become stronger because of your situation. You're going to have a message out of your mess. You're going to have a testimony out of your test. Are you kind of getting it yet? Jesus. The people came to Jesus not because of Jesus, but because of the miracle. 
because of Lazarus. But there were some people that weren't very happy that the people were changing. And so who do they do? What do they do? Yeah, they've got to get rid of Jesus. But more importantly to their mind, they've got to get rid of the miracle. And so they take aim at Lazarus. Lazarus hasn't done anything but die. He hasn't done anything but hop out of a tomb. He hasn't done anything but have some grave clothes unwrapped. And he was so set with Jesus that he sat back in his recliner and relaxed in his presence. And just that drove them crazy. Let me tell you how you drive your enemies crazy. Uh, are you ready for the secret? Just get closer to Jesus. Just get as close to him as you can. Just nestle up to him and look at your enemy and just give him a smile. And just see what will happen. It, the, your enemy will get, listen, the devil, if he can engage you, he is one half the battle because you're too busy fighting him that you're not sharing your testimony with somebody else. If all you're doing is, now don't get me wrong, there are moments and seasons where you just got to go toe-to-toe, eyeball-to-eyeball, and just take authority over the situation and get rid of him. But I'm talking about day-to-day living. You get closer to him and you just start sharing your testimony. I was dead Jesus called me. I answered the phone when his voice started speaking. I stepped into the light from the darkness of the cave when Jesus spoke to me. I loved Jesus as my friend, and while I was sick, I thought he would come and rescue me, and he didn't, thankfully, because I just got a glimpse I just got a glimpse of what he's preparing. I just got a glimpse. And then Jesus started speaking to me. Listen, there are some of you that are getting so tied up and tangled up, and my eyes are closed so you don't know who I'm talking to. Some of you are so tied up and tangled up with the things of this world and you think it's because you're not doing something right, you're not praying enough, you're not singing enough, you're not loving enough, you're not doing any of the things that we are supposed to do as Christians, as born-again believers, and the enemy has you tied up in knots, and you're nervous, and you have your fighting ulcers, and you're fighting anxiety, and you're fighting this, and you're fighting... Listen, my friend, the miracle is about Jesus, not about you. You have been targeted because Jesus has done something in your life. Get back, put your head up, put your shoulders back and begin to rejoice because he has chosen to use you as a source of explaining his power to another being. Well, pastor, I don't like doing that. I don't like rejoicing because I'm in trouble. I don't rejoice because of the storms. I want to be free. I want to be loved. I want to belong. I don't want to have any problems. Well, that means you don't want any miracles. Because God uses the miraculous to minister to the unbeliever. 
Well, Pastor, I haven't seen that happen yet. You don't know that you haven't seen it happen. Listen, you look around this sanctuary and people have noticed a difference in you. I'm not just talking about us holy rulers. I'm talking about your neighbor. I'm talking about your boss. I'm talking about that family member that always cussed you out. I'm talking about that friend that, that just doesn't understand why you're not doing the things the way you used to do them. Uh, they're, they're recognizing you. They're seeing. It's why you've been targeted because your testimony is powerful in changing the world. I invite you to stand. Lazarus was nobody until he died. You don't really read about him. The only Lazarus you read about in Scripture before that Lazarus is the Lazarus that was in hell begging for a drop of water. Notice he didn't hear Jesus' voice when he called. We know nothing about what Lazarus did. I don't know that he ever preached a message. I don't know that he ever sung a song. I don't know if he ever talked to a neighbor. I don't know if he ever did anything that we classify as doing something for Jesus. All I know is this. He was breathing. He wasn't. He breathed again, and it took it out of him, so he sat in the recliner with Jesus. That's it. And we put so much pressure on our shoulders. Doesn't tell us that he prayed every day. Doesn't tell us that he fasted three days a week. Doesn't tell us that he gave tithes and offerings all the time. It doesn't say that he did anything except was a friend. And he was targeted to be killed along with Jesus. Listen. Your target is your victory ribbon. Somebody today needs to say, enemy, thank you for putting a target on my back. It means God is doing something in me, and he's going to receive the glory. And not only that, somebody else is going to be changed. Listen, people have asked, why don't you advertise the church? Why don't you take out and spend a bunch of money on billboards and, and mail-outs and all that kind of stuff? Can I just tell you, maybe we should do a little bit more of some of that stuff, but here's what I say to them. I'm sending out 90 brochures this afternoon. There's 90 billboards going all through the region. Who needs a piece of paper when they can talk to Travis? Who needs a piece of paper when they can call Dave Johnson? 
Who needs a piece of paper when Lori Hoskins comes calling and talking? Who needs all of that? We don't need to spend, all we need to do is recognize that we have been targeted by the enemy because we're making a difference in the world. My friend, don't underestimate what God has done in you. Some of you are newer to this church. Some of you are visiting today. Listen, there is absolutely nothing special about us. They won't write books about us beforehand. All we know is this. I was dead, but Jesus breathed into me. I'm alive now forevermore and because I'm alive I know how to get into the presence of Jesus and I know how to tell people about my miracle I've been I, I've been targeted I have been I've been set aside people have talked bad about me behind my back people have criticized and ridiculed this church but let me just tell you something the more ridicule there is it means we're doing something right the bigger the target it means we're doing something right the bigger the adversary that means we're doing something we've got help shaking because we're so hungry for Jesus I can't wait to see him I'm not just talking about heaven that's going to be a great day that's going to be a marvelous day but I can't wait to see Jesus when the neighbor walks in the door next week oh would you just close your eyes for a moment? Jesus, tell me how to finish this. Lord, there are people in this house today that have been struggling even this week being targeted by the enemy of their soul. And they have become even fearful and apprehensive. And the spirit of doubt has crept into their spirit about what they are and who they are in you. I'm asking you right now, Lord, through the word that we preach today to clarify to them that that means you're getting ready to reveal your glory. It is not a punishment. It is an instrument of warfare that you use. And if you're targeted... It means that, or if you target us or we're targeted by our enemy, it means that all eyes are on the target getting ready to watch the people try to hit it and how we react. And when they see you, they will be drawn to you. And when they hear from us, their hearts will receive what you're trying to say to them. In Jesus' name. Would you just worship for a moment? Just begin to talk to Jesus. If you've been going through something this week, would you just raise your hand in the presence of the Lord? Jesus, all across this congregation, hands are raised. All across, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Now, those of you that have your hands raised, would you just begin to declare the goodness of God? It may, you may not feel like it, but just begin to say it. Begin to speak it. Jesus, you are good. You are good. You are good. You are good. Uh, though my suffering may be for a moment, your glory will be for eternity. Though my struggle may be for a moment, my victory will be for eternity. Though my situation will be for a season, my joy will be for eternity. 
Jesus, I'm all yours. Jesus, I rest in your arms right now. Jesus, I find grace right now. I find mercy right now. I'm standing in the presence of Almighty God. Jesus, in your name. Jesus, in your name. my life you have been so so good that I am able I will of the goodness yeah oh my life you have been faithful that I am able I will sing the goodness it's running after me your goodness is running after it's running after me my head laid down I surrender now, I give you everything, your goodness is running after, it's running after me, praise God, you've been faithful, all my life you have been so so good every breath that I am able I will sing the goodness of God praise God thank you for your goodness Lord thank you for your goodness Lord I challenge you this week to recognize.